Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for your presence here with us today. Thank you for um, bringing us here, Lord, to be able to worship you. We pray that you would focus our hearts upon you now this morning, that you would calm our agitated hearts, Lord God, that you would give us the ability to focus upon you with singleness of heart and mind. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak deep down into us, Lord, that you would break down the barriers we have erected against you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would reconcile us to you through your Son. Lord, place your hope in our lives. And we pray that you would place your word in our mouths this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning! It is so great to see you all today. Well, i got a little history for you. In 1939, Buck Hall was built, and I assume at that point the floor was laid. Uh, That looks original to me. And so that original white oak floor was placed down on the ground. And over the years, it took some abuse, right? Tables like dragged across it, chairs pushed across it, things dropped on it, dishes, all kinds of things. And it took, took its toll on that floor, right? So... What you saw last week when you looked at the floor was big pock marks and, you know, dark spots. And uh, even the places where the varnish was not um, perforated, it was, you know, dull. didn't reflect light very well. It, it had seen, it, I don't know when it was worked on last, but it had been a while, right? Over the last week, a miraculous thing has taken place on that floor, Right? It has been changed. Now, the process of changing, you think the floor would be all over that process? You think it was excited about the prospects? No, man, that process is terribly painful, right? Because what is the first thing they have to do after they clean the room out? Sand the floor, right? They put this giant sander on it. It's like, right? And what does that sander do? Yeah, and what else? Smooths it up, right? And how deep do you have to sand? How deep the divots are, right? You've got to sand deeper than those injuries into the wood floor, right? Sander has to go deep, deep down into it. Once that's done, then you clean all the dust off and then begins the process of staining and varnishing and protecting and sealing the floor so that it will last for years to come. It's amazing the transformation, transformative process that has taken place next door that you'll see uh, during fellowship time. The old has become new. New life has come in that floor. Now, in our passage from 2 Corinthians, we don't see any floors, but uh, we see the Apostle Paul continuing in the theme of confidence from last week. He is confident that while he is not present with the Lord, the Lord is with him. Paul considers it good to be here and better to be with Christ. So wherever he is, either here or with the Lord, it's all gravy. It's all good. And since everything is done for the Lord's glory, and since there will be a judgment day, 
Paul is determined to make the most of his time here on earth. He desires to push himself so that others can know Jesus. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. Paul is aware that his time on earth is short and that it's a reality for everybody, right? Whether you're your brand new baby at the, you know, the hospital or whether you are in hospice, time is short, right? Even a hundred and what's the oldest person? 116 or something. 116 years is a flash compared to eternal life, right? Time is short. No time to waste. So Paul makes the most of the opportunities to preach the gospel. He is motivated in this desire, not out of fear of his own judgment or fear of other people's judgment, but out of love. He says, for the love of Christ urges us on. His motivation is the same as the Lord's, which is expressed in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that all who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Motivated and guided by Jesus Christ, Paul seeks to proclaim the good news. And his words echo John 3.16. Listen to it. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. Paul has been changed by Jesus Christ. No longer is he looking out for himself in his own interest, but for the Lord's. Jesus Christ, the one who died for us and through whom all have died. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus died that death on our behalf, so that through him we have all died as well. No longer needing to die again. It's kind of like when the San Francisco Giants won the World Series, right? All the fans won too, right? We can all run around saying, we won the World Series. I mean, how much did we contribute? Any of us hit like a clutch double? Like, you know, no, none of us did, right? But we all, because that's our team, I'm just assuming it's your team, because it's our team feel like we won the World Series, right? We are partakers of it we share in the joy of that. Same thing happens in Christ, just greater. Now that Paul is alive in Christ, he can live for Christ. His old selfish life is dead, and the new life in Christ and for Christ and through Christ is now here. He expresses this new state in breathless enthusiasm. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Now, our translation that I just read for you adds a bunch of words to this. Um, but what Paul really writes is, so if anyone is in Christ, new creation. Right? None of this there is business. Just new creation. Our translations individualize it too much. They make it too much about the person. This is not only the Christian being created anew. This is new creation. And that Christian's life is a foothold of the new creation that God will make at the final judgment. It is that new heavens and new earth being seen here right now. 
Much like how an embassy is a fo- in a foreign land is a piece of the home country visible to the rest of the world, so also are those who have Christ visible signs of the new creation that God will bring about when every knee bows and tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. To describe this new state, Paul says, everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. This transformation takes place in a person's life when they receive Jesus Christ as Lord. The old is gone, the new has come. It is the work of God in the Christian's life that brings about this transformation. It reveals the reality that the Lord desires to bring us back to the Garden of Eden. That's what the new creation is. It's like the old creation. It is a restoration of what God made perfect in the beginning. It is the opportunity to unmake the wounds that sin and death have wrought in this world. Christians, therefore, are little images of the Garden of Eden, kind of like a snow globe. Right? Just, you wouldn't be a snow globe. You'd be like a paradise globe, right? Paradise globe. You shake us up, look inside, see the Garden of Eden. You see the new creation working inside each and every one of us. That is what Paul is speaking of here. He's talking about our, our paradise globishness. So Paul expressed this hope through the power of the Holy Spirit long ago. But what does it mean for us today? Well, it means that when we confess to Jesus Christ that we are broken people, and we receive the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are transformed by the power of God's grace. When you look at the floor in Bacal, you see what can happen when something is transformed. New life is visible. Beauty is revealed. Hope is made evident. So what does new creation look like in us? Well, as opposed to the floor, we can't get a friend to run a sander over us to wipe out our imperfections, right? I mean, I, well, I'm, not, I'm just assuming this is true. Right? I've never actually tried it, but I think it's probably a bad idea. Because I think by the time you got rid of my imperfections, you'd get to the other side of me. <laughs> right? And that would not be a pleasant prospect. No, we need the Holy Spirit to do this work. This work of killing the sin nature in us and then bringing about the new creation. Then, once we have that new creation in us, we go out into this world as ambassadors of Christ, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Lord, feeding the hungry, caring for the lonely, healing the sick and the lame, reaching out in love, to this world, which is groaning under the agony of sin and death. We do this because Jesus has done this for us, and so we serve him gladly in this world. My hope for us at Emmanuel is that we would be people who would do this, that we would be signs of new creation that God has given us, new life, and that we would share that new life with others by being people of gentleness, kindness, strength. People who share hope, not only with our mouths, but with our actions as well. And may God give us the strength and grace to do this today.
Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are the God of grace and mercy, the one who makes all things new. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to confess our brokenness to you and to receive your grace. Lord, we do not go out into this world in our own power, Lord, but in the strength that you give us. And we pray, Lord, that we would walk humbly, that we would walk gently, that we would walk joyfully, Lord, knowing that you have made this new life in us. And help us to show this new life, Lord. May we not keep it hidden under a bushel, Lord, but instead may we reveal it to the world by the way we love each other, by the way we love people in our lives, Lord, who seem unlovable sometimes. Help us, Lord God, to be people and instruments of your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.